Father, you truly are the potter and we are the clay. Uh, You are the great creator of all things, that out of nothing you created everything that is. Uh, That there is nothing that is too difficult for you, uh, that you are able to to do everything uh, in relation to uh, the world in which we live, things we see, things we don't see. Uh, You are sovereign over all. Uh, And so, Lord, we ask for that to be a reality in our hearts and our minds this morning as your children, uh, that you would teach us from your word. Uh, And as these uh, truths are shared, uh, which uh, for some are going to be difficult truths to hear this morning, uh, I pray that your spirit would work mightily in their hearts uh, and that you would just put a hedge of protection around our minds, our hearts, and uh, who we are as we Uh, live the life you've called us to live as your sons and daughters. And so, Father, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Our text this morning is verses 3 and 4. And as you know, we transitioned here in chapter 5 there with the therefore Uh, in relation to this new life that we have in Christ, that we put off the old and we put on the new, uh, that it is characterized by us living in such a way that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit, uh, that we let go of all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, uh, and malice, that we be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, uh, because we are to be imitators of God. Uh, That means we need to know who God is. We need to be in his word to know his attributes, to know what characterizes God in order to live like him, uh, to know what holiness is, uh, to know uh, what we are supposed to do as the scriptures call us to, uh, to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect, Um, because we are his beloved children, as it says in verse one. Uh, And last time we took a look at Uh, Verse 2, which says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And one of the sweet aromas that is pleasing to God's nostrils is when we actually walk in relation to who we are in Christ, uh, that we walk in love just as Christ did uh, as he took on flesh, dwelt among us and gave himself up for you and I. Uh, And So with that, Paul transitions here in verses 3 and 4 with some pretty difficult truths. Uh, I think they're pertinent truths because of the the culture in which we live, uh, because of the uh, compromise that can come as a result of what everyone else is doing. Uh, And when we don't live in light of the Word of God, when we don't have a biblical ethic, uh, then we'll be just like the world. Uh, We'll give in to the flesh Uh, And these things that are are spoken of here in verses 3 and 4 are not easy to hear. Uh, And so uh, with that in mind, uh, let's uh, go ahead and read verses 3 and 4, or as I read them to you, uh, as we begin our time this morning. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. I entitled today's sermon, Things That Are Out of Place in a Saint's Life. 
See, the thing is, because we are children of God, uh, and as we think about the context of Ephesians, we know that it was written to the saints that are in Ephesus. Uh, We know that this was written to the church, so that the church would know how it should live in light of who they are in Christ, and not in light of who the rest of the world is around them, a world that they were saved out of, because they now have a new nature. Uh, They have a new self. Their old self has been crucified with Christ. Uh, and as a result of this, we see some uh, you know, things that are mentioned here, uh, and I split it up into two different categories. One is immoral physical behaviors, uh, which we find in verse 3, and then immoral verbal communication in verse 4. Sexual immorality, you don't have to look very far to see the extent to which sexual immorality is a reality in our world. Turn on the television pick up a magazine, you know, talk to coworkers, uh, maybe even see this living out in the lives of family members. Uh, the fact is, is uh, sexual morality is something that is rampant in our culture, uh, and not even just between a man and a woman. Uh, we're talking about it going beyond that to relationships, men with men, women with women, Uh, People that are confused as to what their gender is because they don't see themselves in light of who God made them to be in his image, either male or female. And so just like the animal kingdom, uh, the uh, sexual side of things, just like an animal would, uh, does not take into consideration its partners uh, and is basically looking just to find who they can end up uh, sleeping with in order to... Uh, gain a, an emotional rise or have something, uh, you know, invigorate them in some way, living in relation to the flesh. See, this word sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea. And you probably already have made a connection there when you think about pornea, pornography. Uh, and that is something that is, this word in Greek means uh, or refers to any sexual sin. Um, you can pick whichever one that you can see, um, maybe ones that you participated in one time, maybe even some that you're doing right now. But this is the kind of sin that Paul is saying sexual immorality should not even be named among you. See, pornography, as you think about it, is one's eyes and mind lusting after the flesh. Not seeing that individual as a person, not seeing that person created in the image of God, but instead that person is just something to be had, something for my own personal fulfillment, my own personal gratification. And pornography, you know, for anyone that may be dabbling in that, you need to see that that is something that is very addictive and is very destructive, just like all sexual immorality is. See, what this sexual morality that Paul is pointing out here represents is that uh, is everything contrary to what the scriptures teach in relation to there being one flesh. Um, you can go all the way back to the very beginning in the book of beginnings and see that he made them male and female, and a man is supposed to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife because the two become one flesh. So every time someone comes together sexually... Those two bodies have been bonded together in ways more than just physical. That's why when you know, God says it is one flesh, 
It means it's one flesh physically, one flesh spiritually, one flesh, you know, mentally, because sexual activity is something that bonds two human beings together on a, a, a whole spectrum of levels. It's not just sex. It is actually the, the bonding together of something that God, in his goodness, which I need to say, sexual, you know, sexual activity within God's uh, design is something God has given to us. It's something blessed. It's something beautiful for a husband and wife to enjoy. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. See, God takes his design very seriously. And what Satan likes to do is he likes to corrupt God's design. So much so that anything and everything is on the table. And that's something that you can see right in our culture today. And what does the culture do? It embraces all of it. Because it is something that if I want to do it, then it's okay to do. Because they don't answer to a a higher calling. They don't believe that God even exists. Or if God does exist, then you know what? I have this sexual desire. God gave it to me and therefore I should respond to it. Even if it's outside of God's design you know, of marriage between a husband and wife, or if it's outside of a man and a woman coming together. God made me this way. See, that's sinful man justifying God doing something that God does not do. God does not make us to sin. We choose to sin. We do have a sin nature that comes from our father, Adam, and that sin nature is is taken care of through Christ, who is the second Adam, when we trust him as Savior. And who we are before God is uh, clothed in righteousness, not our own. Yes, still capable of sin, still capable of sexual immorality. And that's why Paul is addressing this. Because here these new believers are still living in light of who they were before they knew Christ. And they're bringing that into the church. And you can read in 1st in, uh, and 2nd Corinthians some pretty crazy stuff that's happening because they're bringing stuff from the culture into the church. And so Paul is addressing this because he needs to show them that this is not who you are in Christ. But all sexual immorality and all impurity. That word impurity in Greek means any uncleanness or impurity, whether physical or moral. It's something that's dirty, something that is rotten. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that's the same Greek word, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. See, because they exchanged the truth for a lie, they instead decided to respond to the drives and the sexual drives that they had, and therefore that's what they they did, and it didn't matter what they did, because it feels good, because it's what I want to do. And what did God do? God gave them up. That is a very stern thing for us to hear. God gave them up. He let them go ahead and do what their their sinful, fleshly desires 
that were in their hearts and their minds sought after so that they dishonored their bodies among themselves. Okay, if you want to do that, I'm going to go ahead and let you do it. I'm going to give you up to that sinful desire. Well, I'm glad that God does not give me up to sinful desire, but instead showed me the truth and helped me to see who Jesus Christ is. There's a third word there, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. That's the same word that we saw back in chapter 4, verse 19, if you take a look. It says, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, that's the same Greek word, to practice every kind of impurity. See, this is the selfish gratification. You may not think about covetousness in relation to sexual activity, but that's what is happening when someone is watching pornography. They are coveting something that does not belong to them. They want their selfish gratification, their selfish desires to be fulfilled because they can't do it physically, and so therefore they're doing it mentally. But why stop there? Because even culturally, you know, pornography is not enough. So I'll go to the next step, the next level. Because if I'm willing to do this over here and compromise in this, why not compromise elsewhere? And you know what? Why keep everything normal between a man and a woman? Why not experiment outside of that? See, it's wanting something that you do not have. That's what covetousness is. And notice what he says, and these are words you should underline. These are words that should burn in your your mind, in your conscience. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, all three of those things, so basically any sexual sin, no matter what it is, even in desiring that, must not even be named among you. Not that it should be just simmered down or suppressed a little bit. He's saying it shouldn't even be on your thoughts at all because you've been redeemed. You've been taken out of that. You now see the blessing of God's design of marriage between a husband and wife and that sex is the culmination of that one flesh where the, the husband leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and the two become one flesh. But you may say, well, what's the big deal, Pastor Bill? Well, we need to remember that sexuality is God's design. See, sexuality is something that God himself, when Adam was alone, gave him a helpmate, someone to walk through life with. And so he created Eve. But Satan is always looking to pervert that design in some way, shape, or form. So you may ask, well, what is proper or fitting for beloved children as they walk in love? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go ahead and turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because Paul, in his letter there, helps us to better understand. And we talked about, or sang about this morning, um, the will of God in our songs. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. For this is the will of God. So you wanted to know the answer to the question? This is the will of God, your sanctification. Not for you to get 
and participate in sexual immorality or impurity or covetousness. No, sanctification, that process by which God makes you holy as he is holy practically. Because I'm not perfect. I have to confess sin in thoughts, in words, and in deeds. You're not perfect. You need to confess your sins in thought, word, or deed. See, that's what God is doing as we are sanctified, being set apart, being made holy as God is holy practically here on earth. It goes on to say, you know, well, start back at the beginning. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the same Greek word here as it is in our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things. So God is the avenger before there were avengers. And he takes seriously when he has been sinned against. As we, uh, we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you. So this warning is not just for them, that's for us today. And we may look at our culture and think, well, it's never been this bad. Nope, sorry. Sin is still sin, and Solomon was right that there's nothing new under the sun. And you can go back into the Old Testament and see God's wrath on sinful individuals. You can see it in Noah. You can see it in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is not something new. This is what happens when we live in the flesh and not in the spirit. Verse 7, for God has not called us for impurity. So in other words, as a son or daughter, that's not what God's called you to. He didn't save you for you to live in impurity, but in holiness. Verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. See, this is not something that just is a peripheral issue. God takes this very seriously because we should not be like the culture. Sexuality should be done only in God's design. And if you're here this morning and you're operating outside of that design, where a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and the two become one flesh in the marriage bed, then you need to hear the, the stern warning. They warned him beforehand and solemnly warned them now. Because this is going to be a temptation that's there, and the culture does not make it any easier. The culture makes it even that much more appealing because that's exactly what Satan likes to do. He likes to pervert God's design, and he will do it in such a way that it will be everywhere. And once you start dabbling into that, you're going to see it everywhere. It's like when you, when you buy a, a new car, you don't realize how many of those cars are, are people driving around, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, everybody's driving that same car. may not be the same color, but there's a lot of them on the road. Well, the same is true in relation to this. You dabble in it a little bit, and all of a sudden you begin seeing it everywhere because that temptation is going to constantly be there to draw you in. Just like pornography, it's addictive and destructive. 
And this should be no surprise because you remember back in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 19, when it talked about the Gentiles, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See, that is an example of people apart from Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying is, that is not you. Don't dabble in it. Don't do it when you think no one's looking. Because God sees all of it and he will avenge these things. Instead, what we should do is what it tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.18, that we should flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Because again, that sexual sin is binding together two individuals into one flesh. That's why when sex is outside of marriage and when a couple separates, that it's not a pretty sight. Because they've been bond together in something that is only meant in God's design to between a man and a woman in the marriage bed. And what happens is, is they're ripped apart. And there's no healing that. There's no taking it back. Just like pornography, when you see that image, there's no getting rid of it. Think about how many images you can see, you know, as you're driving someplace. You know, I'm very visual. I can't remember street names, but I can get you there by the landmarks because I'm very visually oriented. See, our minds are amazing. And the thing is, is sexual immorality is so strong and so connected and so much binding you to that person. Even if it's pornography, you may think that you didn't do the sexual act, but remember, what did Jesus say? If you even look upon a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. If you lust after her, you don't even have to do the physical act. That's how powerful sexual immorality is. That sin is that powerful. And it's a sin against your own body. And as God's saints, we must eliminate all immoral physical behaviors. In other words, no hint of them. It shouldn't even be named among you. So as people look at Ellington Baptist Church as a church family, they should not see sexual immorality or impurity of all kinds or covetousness be part of what Ellington Baptist Church is. No exceptions. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No exception clauses. Because we are different. We've been saved out of that. In Proverbs chapter 5, verses 20 to 23, this is the wisdom literature, is the, the call is to the son by his father. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. 
So if you think that you're committing sexual immorality under the, the guise of darkness or behind a closed door where you think no one can see you other than the person that you're sharing that with, you're wrong. Man's ways are before the eyes of God. There is no place God is not. He is everywhere present. And he ponders our paths. In other words, he looks and sees the choices that we make and then makes a judgment based off of that. Verse 22 goes on to say, The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. It's deadly. Is there forgiveness? Yes, there is. But guard yourself. And you may be sitting here this morning saying, well, Pastor Bill, this is not me. I don't have a problem with this. Just know that temptation is real. And just when you think you've got a a, a hold on it is when the strongest temptation is going to come. The story is told that a friend of Augustine named Alpheus was often urged by his neighbors to watch the gladiators in combat. He refused to do so because he abhorred the brutality and the barbaric contests. One day, however, he was forced into the amphitheater against his will. Determined not to witness the gory spectacle, Alpheus kept his eyes tightly closed. But a piercing cry aroused his curiosity so much that he peaked just as one of the fighters received a fatal wound. J.N. Norton says of this incident, No sooner had Alpheus discovered the bloody stream issuing from the victim's side than his finer sensibilities were blunted, and he joined in the shouts and exclamations and of the noisy mob about him. From that moment, he was changed, changed for the worse, not only attending such sports himself, but urging others to do likewise. Even though Alpheus had entered the arena against his will, his exposure to evil and eventual addiction suggest what can happen to the best people when they get one small taste of lustful pleasures. Their appetite is whetted. They develop a liking for what once they abhorred. And without realizing it, they have become enslaved. Now, I know this is in relation to you know, the barbaric practice of, you know, what happened in the ring. But the principle is sound, even in relation to sexual activity. If you just get a taste of it, just a little bit. It's like what God said to Cain just before, maybe even moments before he killed his brother. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sexual sin is crouching at the door. Maybe it's knocking at the door. Maybe it's got its foot in the door. Maybe it's already in the room with you. See, the thing is, is we need to see these immoral physical behaviors just like God does. And not be like it says in Romans 1.32 that though uh, they know God's decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. We should not give approval to that which God disapproves of. 
because we are his children and therefore we should be like him and do the things that please him because we were you know, saved for holiness and honor, not for sinfulness and selfishness. Second, verse four, immoral verbal communication. It says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. All three of these words, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking, Paul, using his you know, depth of knowledge under the inspiration of the Spirit, these three Greek words only appear right here in this verse. Nowhere else in the New Testament, all three of them. And they speak to not only just what comes out of our mouth, but the kind of things that come out of our mouth, particularly in relation to sexual sin. Because the word filthiness means of obscenity, all that is contrary to purity, impure sexual humor. Foolish talk is talk which is both foolish and stupid and betrays a person. And the crude joking is coarse jesting involving vulgar expressions, indecent conduct. Or content, not conduct. See, so all three of these words are not just speaking about things that you can say that are harming to someone else or maybe even in the eyes of others, just innocent fun. These are things that are speaking in relation to the three items we just talked about. Because not only can we have physical behaviors that are dishonoring to God, but we can also have verbal communication that mirrors that as well. And you'll notice it says, which are out of place. You know, Paul is not mincing words here. He says, must not even be named among you which are out of place. But how often maybe around the, the work cooler or the job site did someone utter a crude or filthy joke about someone? Or maybe if you can remember back to high school when, you know, in particular guys would talk about girls in an inappropriate way. See, these are out of place. Why? Because that's not what the fruit of the Spirit produces in a believer's life. Remember the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control. That means not participating in things that are filthy or foolish or crude or sexually immoral or impure or covetous. Against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ. So if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, this is speaking of you. You have crucified the flesh. Well, what did crucifixion do to our Savior? He died on that cross. So that means you have died to the flesh with its passions and desires, as it says there in verse 24. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. See, these are very important. Cannot emphasize enough, we cannot be like the culture. We cannot give Satan a foothold because he will take it and then he will rob you 
Again, he cannot make you sin. You choose to sin. But giving in to that temptation will rob you of something that you can never get back. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, that tag on the end of verse, tw- or verse 4 just seems so out of place. After talking about sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking, saying that they should not even be named among you, that they're out of place, he says, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And it took a few minutes for me to figure out and answer the question, what connection does thanksgiving have with immoral physical behaviors and immoral verbal communication? And then it dawned on me. You know, as we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, going back to that same chapter we looked at earlier, It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The connection that Thanksgiving has with all six of these things we just mentioned is the fact is when we are not thankful, then we want those things. See, when we're not thankful for maybe our singleness or being married to the spouse that you find yourself married to, then you end up going across and making a bridge to sexual immorality or all impurity or covetousness because you don't realize what you have, because you're not thankful to God for what he's given you. God blessed me with a loving wife and gave me the gift of children. But the thing, the moment is when I, when I transition past that and are no longer thankful for those wonderful aspects of the life that I've been given, then I open myself up to all of these other things. Gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God and is one of the poorest, or is one that the poorest of us can make and be not poorer, but richer for having made it. See, the thing is, is when we're thankful, then we're not going to be looking for these other things. And when we're thankful, when the temptation comes, when Satan is trying to tempt us to take a look at that picture that we know is going to, you know, be, you know, uh, burned into our conscience, then I've ceased being thankful. See, thankful people are acknowledging and submitting to God's sovereignty. God, I am content to be where you have me. Have thine own way, Lord. It was a good choice for a song this morning. You are the potter, I am the clay. The thing is, when we go outside of God's design for uh, sexual contact, being within the marriage bed between a man and a woman, then we are going outside and we're no longer acknowledging God's sovereignty. We're no longer acknowledging that we need to be thankful to God, that we need to bless his name. 
but instead what we're doing is we're operating out of the flesh. Thankful people realize that both sex and speech are gifts of God and are best enjoyed within God's design. Thankful people are self-sacrificing and walking in godly love because thankful people don't think about just themselves. They think about others above themselves. They look to God and say, God, thank you for what I have. Not looking for what I don't have, coveting what I don't have, but are thankful. So how should this inform our lives today? Well, you notice the phrase in verse 3, not even named among you, and the phrase in verse 4, which are out of place. Again, considering the context, considering the audience, it lets us know that immoral actions and speech are able to creep into the church. Paul's not just wasting his breath, stating the obvious. It's here for a purpose. It's for us to know even today that as ugly as our culture is today, as sexually active as our culture is today, how sexually confused our culture is today, that this truth, which is timeless, is applicable to us. And as the church, as the bride of Christ, we need to guard ourselves. Do what it says in Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's black and white. There's no middle ground. There's no dabbling. There's no sticking your toe in. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And know this, that when you do put on the Lord Jesus Christ, you understand and believe and embrace the fact that full joy and everlasting pleasure actually come from God, not from sexually engaging someone. It is something beautiful when it's done in relation to God's design, but sex doesn't hold a marriage together. Relationship, friendship, and particularly for believers, God being at the center of all of it. Because there's going to be difficulties. There's going to be circumstances outside your control. There's going to be all kinds of things that are going to cause you to question. But see, if sex is the only thing that you're going after, when you get tired of that, you go on. But see, that's not God's design. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, God should be our soul satisfaction. He saved us out of all of that corruption, all of that pain, all of that guilt, all of that hurt, all that stuff that does not fulfill anything other than an instant gratification that loses its luster moments after it's done. You can't wait until you get to the next time that it happens. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, God makes known to us the path of life. What true life is. Not the life of this world. This world is dead. And everything that it has to offer is dead. It's empty. It's foolishness. 
But in God's presence, there's fullness of joy because we understand why God created us to begin with, that he created us in his image, that he sent his son in love so that you and I, through faith and trust in Christ, can walk in love just like Christ walked in love and gave himself as that fragrant aroma. Amen? Amen. Amen.